wasn't kidding at all, actually. I, I, scold, I went back and watched it for a minute and a half uh, after second service and just had so much fun. You ever remember like, just disciplining your kids and you're like, I shouldn't have done that, but it was really funny. That was really, that was 1030. And so stay at this service. It's really not a fun group of people. Uh, you wouldn't like them. So this is the last service, best service. Uh, Uncommon week two. Before we get there, before we get to Uncommon uh, week two, we have Encounter Night uh, this Wednesday night. Come on, who's excited for Encounter? Man, it is uh, one of my uh, favorite things that we do uh, here at Action Church, and uh, I'll be speaking this week. I'll be preaching at Encounter. We'll have extended worship, communion, uh, a time in God's Word, uh, and then my favorite part of the night is we have a time for ministry where we'll have our prayer team and pastors and leaders, and so if you've never been, come check it out. If you have been, you know uh, that we usually have a powerful time uh, in God's presence. We're in a new series, uh, second week, Uncommon Week 2, Pastor Tyler uh, taught last week. Who get up for Pastor Tyler? Uh, he did a phenomenal job. Never, never been a better friend or a better substitute teacher. And so he did a great job last week talking about uncommon faith. This week, uh, we're going to talk about uncommon grace. And we're doing this series because we're called as believers, as the church, to live a, an uncommon lifestyle. We are not called to fit, and we're called to be in the world, but not of the world, and so what's common in society, what's common in culture is not what God has called us to be. We're called to be uncommon or set apart. So we're gonna take several weeks and talk about several different topics that set us apart, not that we're better than, but we are uncommon, not based off of what we've done, but based off of what Jesus has done and the relationship that we now have. First Peter chapter 2 says this, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, another translation says aliens, uh, another, another verse in Hebrew says we are here today, gone tomorrow, amidst the vapor. We're just, we're just visiting. Just so you know, as believers, we're visiting this place. We are spiritual, e eternal beings made in the image of God, having a temporary human experience. So Peter's writing and telling us as we're just here visiting, this is not our eternal home, that we should live differently. We should live uncommon. We should keep away from worldly desires that wage war against our, our very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. So we're talking about these different subjects, about faith, and about grace, and the ones that we'll do over the next seven or eight weeks to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Notice it doesn't say that they're necessarily gonna give honor to you. Now, we live an uncommon life, and at Action Church, we believe we live differently so that people ask questions so that we can then introduce them to Jesus. But what Peter's saying here is not, all, not always what well, we get credit for living an honorable life in the eyes of people. Right. And sometimes there will be criticism, there'll be gossip, but what I'm here to tell you, not only what I've seen in my own life, integrity and character wins out in the long run, but God is saying, hey, live differently, live uncommon, live as visitors, because on the day of judgment, not only will I see it and give you credit, but all will see it. When their eyes are opened, there was a difference, there was a way, and it was Jesus, they will see. So I'm just telling you, it's worth it not only in the interim, but in the eternity. Uncommon, uncommon grace defined as receiving what we don't deserve, what we could never earn. 
That's what grace is. And, and grace is what saves us. Jesus taking our place on the cross. We say this all the time at Action Church. Grace, God's amazing grace, his uncommon grace, not only saves us, but it sustains us in this life. Thank God that, that he gave me his grace to, to save me through Jesus on the cross, but I need God's grace to get through today. I need God's grace to get through tomorrow. I need God's grace in my relationships, in my marriage, in my parenting. We need an uncommon, uncommon grace. It's not just forgiveness, it's purpose and it's empowerment. I'm hoping today that we take this topic of grace off of just a song screen, out of a hymnal, out of just reading it in the word of God, and we begin to see the power of God's grace. Too many of us have settled for it as an institution or a symbol or an analogy, just a word that God's grace on the inside of us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can and will change your life. Too many of us have just settled for it to be an institution or a religious thing. How many of you grew up like me? Good Southern Baptist boy saying grace before every meal, like all three meals. Like you, if you were to eat a meal without saying grace, you were going to hell. I don't need to say grace. I'll go eat after this service. And I remember growing up, I'd feel so guilty. My mom be like, you need to bless the food. Like, mom, I just preached three times. I spent two hours praying and preparing this morning, sang all morning. My food's pre-blessed. God knows I'm thankful. I've been with him for six hours. I don't need to say some quick prayer. And by the way, if we're ever out to dinner together, the worst thing you can do outside of ordering a well-done steak, we've already talked about that, is say a long blessing. This is not intercession. This is not spiritual warfare. We came here to eat. You're binding things, and I just need you to bless the food. And we're so many times we're blessing things that God can't bless. God, I pray that you bless this Big Mac. Large fry. Small Diet Coke so they counteract each other. But I pray that you would bless it to the nourishment of my body. My body to your service. And if you don't bless it, it's going to be a short service because they can't bless that. It's not nourishing. We, we, I don't want to leave grace in a priest pre-meal place. I don't want to leave grace on a screen. I, I want the grace of God for us to understand it, for us to, to receive it, and for us to, to live it out in our life. Matthew chapter 18, I want to talk for just a moment about what could happen if we're not careful that as believers, talking to believers here for a few minutes, that as Christians, we may receive God's grace. I haven't met many Christians that weren't thankful for God's grace, but I've met a lot of Christians that like to receive grace but not extend any grace. And here's what it says in, in Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, him being Jesus, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? He thought he was being impressive. Can't impress Jesus. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. In the, process of one of his, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in and owed him millions of dollars. Remember that, millions of dollars. He couldn't pay it, so his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay that debt. But the man fell down before his master, and he begged him, please, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. 
Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, forgiven of millions, owed him a, a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat, and he commanded instant payment, justice. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for just a little more time, be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's why my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. An encouraging reading from Matthew 18 this morning. <laughs> See, we, we love to receive it, but not, not extend it, and that's what I wanna talk about. Today. The uncommon grace is the grace that, that we receive from God, but when it comes to, to my life and in your life, we have been forgiven millions of dollars of spiritual debt. And what I mean by that is, is we sinned against a perfect being. So our, our crimes, our sin nature, our mistakes, our issues that separate us from God, they weren't against somebody else that had made mistakes. They're against perfection, somebody that has done, never done anything against you but only for you, that has never tried to harm you but, but bring about good in your life, the perfect, holy God. So we have millions of dollars in spiritual debt, and yet we're trying to hold people accountable to the thousands of dollars that they that they owe us. And so what I'm saying is we've received this grace, but we're not extending it. We wanna receive the grace of God, but we wanna extend justice to the people around us. If they get what they deserve, you did wrong, you get wrong. You hurt me, I hurt you. You disagree with me, I disagree with you. You're against me, I'm against you. No, operating in an uncommon grace is a different way to see people, to, to treat people. We need grace, but we need to give grace as well. How we see God in his grace determines how we live. How we see people determines how we love. That's why grace is so important. Are we extending, are we extending grace? Do you know 87% of people, if they were given one word to describe Christians today, this is a recent study today, they would describe Christians as judgmental. Non-Christians would describe Christians as judgmental. And I wish that they were wrong. But the loudest majority of, of us is known more for what they're against than what they're, they're for. We're angry. We're mean. We're us against them. They're the enemy. The Bible's very clear that our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's the principalities of darkness in this, this evil world that we have a real enemy, but it's not, it's not people. So how do we operate with uncommon grace? It, it's got to have a mixture of two things. We've got to have grace, and we've got to have truth. That's the difference in believers, because, because grace, a uh, 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 truth without grace is mean. 
Truth without grace is mean. There's too many mean Christians. You ever met somebody that are like, man, if you're going to heaven, I'm not sure if I want to. Like, why, why would we receive this grace from God and be angry and mean? Always looking for a fight. Truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. Because I can't just give you, oh, you're going to be okay. Oh, yeah, just keep doing you. No, I've got to bring about a, a grace and a truth. I've got to bring about, there's got to be change. There's got to be repentance. Uh, repentance. There's got to be a shift. There are things in our life that need to change. How many of you got issues in here? Anybody got any issues? Your hand's not up, your issue is self-awareness. Yeah. Thank you for coming and your confession. We all got issues. I want to paint this picture. We all got some, some growths on our spiritual body that need to be removed. And how the Holy Spirit, he comes in like a surgeon. He brings conviction, not condemnation. So he comes in with a, a scalpel and he comes in and he performs surgery on us. He doesn't come in with a hatchet. Too many of us receive the scalpel, the surgery, the the fixing up spiritually from the Holy Spirit, and yet we walk around yielding a hatchet. So when the Holy Spirit comes in to convict and to, to teach and to hold us accountable, he does it in such a way that it's healing. He removes, he sews up, he restores so that we can then live differently. Yet too many of us are coming in not with conviction, not with love, not with grace and truth, just with truth, and we're coming in and trying to change people with a hatchet. We may remove the growth, but the damage of what we cause may be worse than what we removed. Grace and truth is an uncommon, an uncommon grace. It's important. It's important for us to get this as we move into year 11 of our church, that we get this idea of an uncommon grace. What I want to do in the second part of this sermon is I want to make sure you see where grace comes from, the, the, the best picture of grace in the Bible is, is the cross. It is what Jesus did for you and for me, the bridge between an unholy people and a, a holy God. When he exchanged his righteousness for, for our sin and for, for our shame. And there's something that happens in Luke's account, Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 23, where Jesus had this conversation with two criminals, you got the religious leaders there, you got the one criminal, and you got the other criminal. And I think between these three groups, these three pictures, I believe we find where most of us land. We're either the religious leaders, we're the criminal that accepted, or we're the criminal that rejected this uncommon grace. And I want to dive in to make sure that you understand the grace available to you so that we can walk in it, so that then we can then Give that, show that, represent that to other people. Verse 32 of Luke 23. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, him being Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified. One on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. He's talking to the crowd here, and he's showing us a picture people that had betrayed him, people that had lied about him, people that had falsely accused him, people that had abused and beaten him beyond recognition, his response is forgiveness. Jesus was beaten and abused, not just criticized or talked about. We're so 
hateful, vengeful, high justice, and I'm talking to myself too, Jesus is showing us an uncommon grace, an uncommon forgiveness. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched. Verse 35, we're gonna jump into this one in just a moment. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering drinks of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with those words. This is the king of the Jews, which was meant to mock him. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man, he has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, calls him the name of Jesus, a relational call, crying out, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today that you'll be with me in paradise. We see a criminal sentenced to die receive uncommon grace. What's the difference between the criminal that received and the criminal that rejected? What's the difference between the criminal received and the leaders that scoffed and jeered and made fun of, accused, put Jesus on the cross? Got two different camps that rejected and one that received. Let's talk about the two that rejected first, the religious leaders in verse 35. Write this down. Religious eyes or religious heart sees the cross as judgment. They saw the cross. This is what he deserved. He was a false prophet. He was fake. He was a blasphemous prophet. He was out of line. Religious people see the cross as judgment. Therefore, they live their whole life trying to be good enough not to receive God's wrath. If I'm good enough, if I understand enough, if I study enough, if I do enough good, then I can get to God. That is the definition of religion. Religions are made up so that we feel better about ourselves. If I do this, this, and this, I get to this. It's really just goal-oriented lifestyle. That's why we're not in a religion. We're in a relationship. Religious eyes will cause you to think that you can do it. And I need to let you know, religious works. Religion itself does not work. It doesn't work. You can't be good enough to get to God. Because I don't know a lot of you that well, but I know me and I know my Bible enough to say, you're not a good person. Thank you, Pastor Eddie. Uh, Pastor, I am a good person. You're not. In fact, you're pretty terrible, probably. Here's what I was trying to say. Let me say it nicer. I think you're a liar, a murderer, and a thief. How many of you ever told a lie? All the hands are up, and that's your first lie, apparently. God's watching. How many of you have ever killed anybody? <laughs> Authorities? <laughs> no, but the Bible says if you've hated somebody in your heart, I'd have both hands up. I've hated some people. I've never planned to kill, but I've plotted to kill. Anybody in your mind, you know? 
I'm not saying I would. I'm just saying if I did, this is how I would do it and bury the body. And then I pray, and we're fine. So the Bible would call you a liar and a murderer. The third one's you're a thief. How many of you ever stole anything? Always the least amount of hands here, but I would, I would submit this afternoon that all of us have stolen. Have you ever been at my least favorite restaurant in the world called Panera Bread? And the food, the food by all accounts is average. But the service is what I'm talking about. A few years ago, you started having to tip at Panera Bread. I never seen anybody leave behind the counter. I go order, I get my cup, I get my own drink. I get a buzzer, I come get my own food. Now, I gotta be the bus boy and clean up my own food. And you're asking me for a tip. I need a name tag and a place to clock in around here. I thought I was coming for lunch, not a job. That'll preach. Tip, I'll give you a tip. Make me work less. Here's the point. You ever been at Panera and seen somebody go up to the self-serve soda machine with a water cup? But they didn't get water. And if you're a Christian, you got Sprite. But we can all see the bubbles. And if you, if you weren't a Christian, you just walked out of there with a Dr. Pepper, you know, I don't even care. So now we've defined that we are a liar, a murderer, and a thief. When I'm making light, but I'm saying we all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, and therefore religion, religion can't pay for what you owe. It's only in surrender. It's only in repentance. It's only in saying, God, I know that I can't be good enough, but thank you that you sent the one that is in your son, Jesus. It's, it's not judgment. It doesn't have to be judgment. It can be a bridge to relationship. We'll talk about that in a moment. Or it can be judgment if it's rejected, I'm telling you, but you have the option to receive God's uncommon grace. Here's the next one. It's the it's the thief in verse 39, the criminal in verse 39. I don't have time to read it. But it's not just a, a religious heart, but a rebellious heart, a rebellious eye, see the cross, see grace as fraudulent, as fake. It's not real. I don't need it. The, the criminal saying, I mean, just save us, save yourself, save us. Like, you, you're not the Messiah. And, and it can't be real. It's fake. And that's becoming more prominent in our time, in our generation. We have a lot of people discouraged and doubting and questioning. And, and I, I don't mind the questions, but I, I'm worried about the conclusion because we, we're just saying it's not real, that it, it's fake, that it's made up. And I'm just talking right now to the people that may be doubting a little bit, one foot in, one foot out, like, is this thing real? I'm just, just asking you to, to play out the scenario of what one side believes and what the other side believes. 
Because if you say it's fraudulent, it's not real, then, then what you're saying is that this is all we have, and we live here, and we die, and then we're gone. That's what happens if, if you're right. But if I'm right, and you're wrong, you're spending eternity paying for what Jesus has already paid for. Just because you decided, and if you're right and I'm wrong, then I still have something bigger to live for. I still have faith. I still have hope. I still have more peace. You say, well, it's not real, but I'm telling you, it is real because I didn't just read it or see it. I've experienced it. And the only way, the only way to know that it's not real is to bring something fraudulent, whatever you believe, and put it up next to something's real. To, to expose a counterfeit, you have to see the real thing. And I'm just here to tell you that if you will experience the real thing, the life-changing power, peace, joy, and hope that is only found through accepting the uncommon grace that Jesus makes available to us. I'm telling you, when you compare whatever you believe to what we believe and what the Bible says, when it's compared against the reality of God's truth and his gospel, I'm telling you, you'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. Here's the last one, the criminal that gets it. He says, Jesus, remember me when you when you enter your kingdom, remember me when you get there. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise because relational eyes or relational heart towards the cross and towards Jesus, they see it as redemption. The cross is a picture of God's grace to you and it's a picture of the redemption that's available. Religion says that our sin separates us from God and we gotta work back. Relationship says our sin separates us from God so God met us in our sin. That's the difference. And we see this in, in John chapter eight, the story of the woman caught in adultery. We find Jesus walking up to this crowd that had gathered. The religious leaders had gathered around this woman that they had caught in adultery. And I have so many questions. How do they know she was in adultery? Like who was was the person she was in adultery with telling on her? Were the religious leaders at the wrong spot? Like, how did they know, and why were they so excited to kill her? What she deserved was to pay her debt. What she deserved was to be stoned according to the law. So they're all, all around figuring out who's gonna basically throw the first stone, and then Jesus enters the scene and begins this conversation, begins this display. Without saying anything, it says in John chapter eight that he he bends down, he kneels down, and with his finger, he begins to write in the sand. It's important that you remember he uses his finger to write in the sand. And so much has been made of what did he write, and, and we don't know. A lot of people believe that he was writing the sins of the religious leaders. Maybe he was writing the names of their mistresses who they were in adultery with, writing down whatever. Maybe he was writing the law that they were quoting. But what we see is Jesus living out and showing us in real life and real flesh, the second part of the Trinity, he was writing in the sand with his finger. We see a similar story, but a totally different representation of an old covenant, new covenant. We see this in Exodus 31, verse 18. When the Lord finished speaking with Moses on the Mount of Sinai, he gave him two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant he had just made with him. The covenant, come on, you gotta catch this today. 
the covenant was written by the finger of God. In the Old Testament, he wrote on tablets a list of rules to bring a people that didn't know any better and to teach them how to be a part of the family of God. In the New Testament, Jesus, the living God, bends down and writes with his finger, the finger of God, in the sand. What's crazy to me is he didn't, he didn't pick a, a holy moment with Moses. He picked a moment where a woman is caught in sin. And what he's showing here is the two different camps. It was the criminal and the religious leaders in Luke's gospel, but in John's gospel, it's the, her rebellion, her sin. She's caught in her rebellion and her sin. And the religious leaders are there and they're both, they're both missing it. Her sin, it separated her from God and their religion and their piety and their legalism, it separated them and they, and they missed it. What's crazy is the person in rebellion didn't miss it. The person in religion missed it. They walked away never seeing this encounter and as he gets done riding he looks up and he doesn't see the religious leaders there anymore he sees the woman caught in adultery and he meets her there he says woman where are your accusers where are your accusers where are those who had brought you here to condemn you he said they're not here he says neither do I condemn you because Jesus is not a condemner he's a, a convictor Romans chapter 8, verse 1, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Neither do I condemn you, but he doesn't just bring grace. He brings truth. He says, go. Go and sin no more. That there is a difference that needs, once you meet Jesus, not in a religious way, not in a in an Old Testament law way, he, he didn't come to do away with law. He's fulfilling law. He's saying it's no longer written on tablets. It's, it's written on people's hearts. It's no longer just this transactional thing. Now it's a relational thing. And once you have that encounter and receive that uncommon grace, you can't help but live differently. God's grace meets us at our worst but it doesn't leave us there. What if we as a church became people that met people at their worst, but we don't leave them there? Condemnation says you're never gonna change. This is who you'll always be. Grace and conviction say, hey, this is who you are, but thank God it's not who you have to be. There's a better way. Grace, it points us, it points us to a better future. A future that I believe Jesus is calling us to. I really believe that we are the representation in Matthew chapter 18. We've been forgiven so much. And if you haven't accepted that, I want to give you an opportunity in just a moment. But I'm calling us to receive that uncommon grace and then extend that to a world that needs it. Let it never be said of Action Church that we are the ones that walk away from the King. Him forgiving our debts 
And then we spend the rest of our life trying to call in the debts owed to us. Freely we have received. Let us freely give away the grace that God has given us. I'd love for you to bow your heads this afternoon. I'd love to pray for you. Really believe today, talking about uncommon grace, that there are those of us, and I say us specifically because it's me in seasons where we've allowed rebellion, sin, mistakes to separate us from our relationship with God, to even maybe even distance us. Maybe it's religion. Maybe you got caught up in what you were doing and forgot that it was not in the striving and achieving, but it was in the relying on God's grace that, that sustains you. Whichever one, whether you're the religious crowd or the criminal on the cross, the Bible's very clear that Jesus already made a way that our job is to accept that, to acknowledge our sin, acknowledge our need for a savior, and then specifically, practically surrender control of our hearts and of our minds to him. Romans, quoted every week, says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that word Lord is important because that is control, that is surrender. If you want to start a relationship with Jesus today, or you say, Pastor, I've allowed some things in my life, rebellious, religious, I have not prioritized Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, the relational part of God. Today, I want to renew that commitment. For the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, I'd love to pray for you. If that's you, and you want to receive that uncommon grace, receive the gift of salvation through a relationship with Jesus. I'd love to pray for you this afternoon. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you are and say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. For the first time ever, I'm recommitting my life this afternoon. I need Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, four or five on the floor. A couple more in the stadium. Proud of you. Always an honor to share this moment with you. Yes, sir. Got you on the side. Got you in the back. I see you. Left side. Yes, ma'am. Just a couple more moments. Right there in the middle. Got you. You can put your hands down. If you raised your hand, would you pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud? Say something like this. Say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm saved only by your grace. And I am confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you, Jesus, are Lord. And God, I give you that place. Complete in total control. God, have your way in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. God, I pray for all of us. I pray that as we've received your grace that we could never earn, never deserve, God, I pray that you give us opportunities to, to show that, to live a life that is uncommon, a life that reflects all that we've received from you. Give us practical ways to do that this week, to give grace, to give patience, to give forgiveness in Jesus' name. God, we love you. We praise you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.
And amen. Can we celebrate all the decisions that were just made?